How can a person, people, be so smart and educated and still do just crazy things with their life? What was that? Huh? How can a person? <laughs> how can a person be so smart and educated and still do stupid things with our lives? Right? You know, we are the smartest living beings that God made on this earth, and at the same time. You know, uh, you would think our brains, I mean, they're, they're, they're bigger, they're, 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 they think faster, they're sharper. Uh, nothing can compare to a human being. And uh, at the same time, we do stupid things. And then, then you look at mankind kills himself. Can you believe that? Mankind takes his own. Uh, you look at the history of war and... We just could destroy the human race if it were not for God for uh, intervening. And it's like, well, what's wrong with us? So we, we know as Christians, we know it's a, the nature uh, of us. Uh, it's a nature of sin in man. Uh, why do we do stupid things when we're so educated? Really? Just think of the intelligence that God has given us. How can we be so smart and so dumb at the same time with our lives? Well, James addresses this question. And he wrote a book. And he wrote a book about a lot of things and uh, personal, practical things that all of us need, really. Um, and wisdom is one of the things that he focuses on where we're at today and past week. J.I. Packer said wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. I'll say that again because that's a mouthful. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. What's the surest means of attaining it? It's through God. It's through His Word. How can we get this wisdom? Last time that we met, uh, we were in the passage of verse 13 through 16, and we were dealing with wisdom, and basically about false wisdom. Uh, We called it demonic wisdom. I think uh, the text says it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. And uh, so we, we dealt with that. And we know that demonic wisdom is certainly not true wisdom. There's really only one kind of wisdom. And so today we're going to look at that and we're going to contrast it with this demonic wisdom, which is really false. And wisdom only has one source. Only one source for wisdom, that's God. That's obvious. Um, and we know that wisdom, we talked about it last week, is, is living uh, wisdom is a living faith. It's every day. It's using uh, the knowledge that God gives us and to use it in our lives. So if a person genuinely possesses a living faith, then he will genuinely manifest that uh, in his life. He will manifest the very uh, wisdom of God in his own way of living. Um, so it, that's good to know that a Christian will do that. One's relationship uh, to to God is uh, revealed by this kind of wisdom that we, we live out. So it's not false wisdom this week. It is true wisdom. We left us hanging last week, didn't we? Uh, we looked at that demonic wisdom. And so now we see a clear contrast. And uh, if you're a Christian, you truly possess divine wisdom. It's how to use uh, that and, and to show it, to let it be revealed in our conduct, in our deeds, in our attitudes, Right? We want to use wisdom in, in uh, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we have our attitudes. Now, James is really familiar um, with this thought because he was familiar with the Old Testament, and namely the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is something that when we think of wisdom, we can certainly turn to that, and we will be doing that uh, today as we go through there. I think Proverbs inspired him uh, much. And especially on this particular topic, and you can think of Job, you can think of Ecclesiastes, you can think of the Psalms. They all bear much weight. It's a very useful topic, wisdom is, isn't it? Very useful. 
And uh, so, you know, we're going to do a, a little bit of a Bible study here, uh, as we should always be doing anyway, right? We're going to get a panoramic view of wisdom. We're not going to obviously go to all the scriptures that deal with wisdom because there are tons. But we are going to uh, turn a lot of pages here today and look at the wisdom literature and uh, look at those particular books that emphasize wisdom because we want it, we need it, we are to attain it. It's the most precious element that we can have as we live this daily life. So let's turn to the book of James. Open your Bibles up. I invite you to turn to James 3, verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth, because that's where we get the wisdom. And it is only from You and nowhere else. And we don't have to seek some kind of Gnostic type thinking, some kind of secret type of truths because You have opened Your truth up to all who seek it. And help us today understand better what wisdom is and then to be able to use the knowledge that You've given us and to use it in our daily lives in every moment that we live. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Jesus is our picture of wisdom, isn't He? Um, I'm going to start just in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, get used to Proverbs today. You might want to stick a bookmark in there or... Put your thumb there. We're going to go back and forth to that a lot. And in Proverbs 2, verse 6, this is the basis of wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. So who owns it? God does. All 100%. Every aspect of wisdom all comes from Him. It never comes from any person, anything. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. From His mouth from His speaking, from the Word. There's where you go to to get knowledge and understanding. He gives it. He owns it. It is His. It's from above, it says here in James 3.17. But the wisdom from above, and he contrasts that to where we had just been in verse 15 this wisdom the false wisdom is not that which comes down from above it is earthly this is far as it can get on this earth right here and even more it's just natural it's not supernatural and even more it's demonic And then he says, but the wisdom from above, right? So it's from God. Um, Before we start working on the characteristics of true wisdom, what we want to do is go into some of the wisdom literature and kind of process this. uh, Kind of get this into our minds of of thinking uh, how important wisdom is and the access that each one of you have to the immense things of God. You have direct access into the most valuable commodity that you can get for all eternity. And that's the topic that we're talking about today. So let's turn to Job 28. We're going to look at Job first. Job 28. And this is fascinating. And you know, you'll learn a lot about... um, things of God in the book of Job. And Job here is comparing a man's search for wisdom. You know, we we search for wisdom, don't we? We we have to. We we have to dig for it. Anything you want that is good, you have to put forth a real effort to get it. You just don't, you know, just take your hand out and just grab it like this. You have to be able to dig for things that if they're that precious. And that's what God does. You have to dig into His Word if you want deep truths, right? So, there's an environment that we live in 
And in this environment here, he's speaking of mining. He takes something that they would know of, and he talks about mining. So we're going to look at just some key verses, and then we'll look at the key verse, which is in verse 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. You ever see anybody just walk along and just pick silver and gold right off the top of the earth? You know, and just take, you know, pick it off uh, of bushes and off trees, you know? God gives us fruit to do that. But for this, these commodities, uh, you have to mine for it. I mean, there's a digging into it. He says, verse 2, iron is taken from the dust. And copper is smelted from rocks. See all the effort that is taken there? So he just goes and uses something that they would identify with. Verse 4, he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. You know, people lose their lives in mines. And you see, even today that happens. You know, they dig deep into the ground and all of a sudden something collapses. And, uh, you know, people have, have died because of mines. The earth from it, the earth from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. And so there's what he's identifying with that comes out of this. Look in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? Now he takes the gold and the silver and uh, the the valuable rocks. He says, but where can wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Boy, is he saying something of truth there. Man does not naturally know how valuable this wisdom from God is. So that's why we have to dig into here and see how valuable it is. Nor it's found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it. You can't buy it with the most money that you could possibly have. Nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. And then he mentions coral and crystal. And that acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. Look at all of these fine, fine jewels and uh, stones, precious gold and silver, the money that they're worth. He's going to the, and to this day that's still the same, isn't it? And he says you cannot compare any of that, all of it, with wisdom of God. In verse twenty, where then does wisdom come from? You certainly can't dig for it in the ground. And where is the place of understanding? And we're going to drop down to verse twenty-eight for saving some time here. Here's our key verse. This is a monumental statement. Very monumental. And to man he said, Behold. When God says behold, have your eyes wide open, your ears open. Listen to this. Listen. The fear of the Lord that is wisdom. Amen. That's right. And to depart from evil is understanding. That is a monumental statement. One of the most monumental statements in all of the Old Testament and the New for that matter. Wisdom belongs to God and He is the one we fear. How do you attain it? It's from God. We attain it by fearing Him. And it starts with salvation. When one sees a holy God and we are not, we recognize our sin and we recognize what we really do truly deserve. And then we fear God, don't we? And we have an awesome view of Him. We are in awe. We are in reverence. Have you revered Him today? Have you... As you sing the songs, as you prayed, have you seen Him as a holy God who you are in awe of? Right? Awesome. That's what that word really means. Just an absolute awe. Man in his futility in his own environment, in his own mind, thinks what he thinks is wisdom. And yet it says here, the only way that you can get wisdom is when you fear God. When you are a believer of God, And then a believer keeps that same attitude up. He fears God. He beholds Him. And it's dealing with a relationship too. 
It's an awe-revering relationship of this holy God. Knowing God. This is eternal life. This is wisdom that they may know thee. It's about knowing God. That's right. And when you know God, then you start knowing all the things that He's created and all the things that He wants us to know. So behold, this is it. Man, if there is a greater statement, it would have to be paralleling right with this, actually. The fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. So we hang on to that. We know about that. We've heard that many times. A man is futile. As far as the human perspective is concerned, he thinks he has wisdom, but he's ever, never, ever, ever able to touch the true wisdom of God. Are we going to blow up? Oh, okay. No problem. That's good then. That's good. I was just waiting to see if we were going to be touching the sky here. You know, with all that rain that we have and drip, drip. You know, <laughs> okay, that, that's, a good, that's a good sign. That's good. Um, okay, we, we did Proverbs 2.6. Let's go to chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. What we're going to do is just focus in on what God says is this greatest commodity that we can possibly have. And from 3.13, He says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding, if you're a Christian, you've experienced that. And you continue to experience it, right? For her profit is better than the profit of what? Silver. And her gain better than fine gold. Of all the money you could possibly have. Millions and millions of dollars. Somebody wins a lottery. They usually don't even know what to do with it. You know, and you find out that they, they spend it foolishly or, you know, they go crazy and whatever, you know. But um, no matter if you had all that, it's nothing. You're blessed if you have wisdom, though. Money or no money. She's more precious than jewels. And we, we've seen that, haven't we? Verse 16, long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. There's where you find it. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Verse 9, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. How did He create this earth? It's all in that grand mind of God. Can you imagine the way we will never, ever touch how much, how infinite the wisdom of God is. But just in His revealed Word, think of the creation. When He created and then sustaining it and giving us every breath that we just took and every breath we will take is God sustaining this because He can take or just let the air alone. He, he's not winding up the clock and then letting it go. He's sustaining this whole thing, isn't He? Amazing what He does. And then we look down at verse 22. Verse 21, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you'll walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. The world's telling us all sorts of different things, aren't they? They're telling us how to live and what to say and what to do and what to think. And here it is right here. You don't have to go after anything else. It's this. And so, we look at chapter 4, verse 5 of Proverbs. You don't even have to turn a page probably. He says this, acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Okay, it's there. If you're a Christian, go after it. We just don't do a belly flop. We do pursue it. There is action there, even though He gives it to us and it's all available. You still have to search it. And then when you get it, you praise God and you say, thank you God for revealing that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 6. Forsake your folly and live. That's what He'd be saying to an unbeliever. Forsake it and live. They don't have eternal life. And proceed in the way of understanding. And once you have turned to that wisdom, then proceed in understanding more. 
Don't stop where you're at in your tracks. Keep pursuing more and more. By the way, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, you know, there's a powerful call to true wisdom. And I want to take a moment with this. This is probably the greatest call to wisdom that you'll see in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 8. Can we look for that? Look at that for just a moment? Is it okay? Proverbs 8. You just turn back the page, right? This whole chapter is dedicated to one thing, wisdom. Have we already seen quite a few verses? We haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg on wisdom. This is what it's all about, folks. Wisdom. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call. This is wisdom calling. And my voice is to the sons of men. Acquire me. O native ones, understand prudence. And O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things. And the opening of my lips will reveal right things. This is wisdom calling. For my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They're all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And here we go again. We've seen this before. Take my instruction. And not silver and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. There is nothing on this earth or in the universe that can compare with wisdom. This is how grand this is. We might put out, it's pretty important, put a third or fourth on the list. That's the most important because it is Christ. Wisdom is Christ. That's what we're seeing here in chapter 8. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And my yield better than choice of silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way. Wisdom has always been here. It's eternal. Before His works of old, from everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths, I brought forth. I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While He had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when He established the heavens, I was there. When He inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when He made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed. When he set for the sea his boundary so that the water would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. It was always there, right? And when he created. Then I was beside him as a master workman, wisdom was. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting in my doorpost. 
For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. And those who hate me love death. Wow, that's a chapter. That is a significant chapter. That's the most powerful call to wisdom that you'll have. Wisdom invites us to feast on it. I think the most powerful Old Testament call to true wisdom right there. Now, turn to Job 28.28. I think we were probably there earlier. Remember the key verse? I turn there because I want you to kind of stick this in your head. It's many other places. And to man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Right? Okay, now, go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Have you noticed Job, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes, and all those are all packed together in your Bible? They're not chronological in in your most Bibles. In a chronological Bible, it it depends on when they were written, but they can be packed together too. But um, these are called the wisdom literature books that we're in. So if we're talking about wisdom, that's where you can seek wisdom. We can find it here in Proverbs 1.7. What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why are we being led now by leaders who say absolute foolish things and make foolish laws because they don't fear God? And they, are, they, they, they despise wisdom. They are fools according to what God says. If they really could lead with true wisdom, it would be that they would fear Yahweh and not Muhammad or Ali, Allah. Right? Proverbs 1.29 Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. We're getting a theme going here, aren't we? We want to be known as God-fearers. To fear God when we come to worship Him on a daily basis at home. When you wake up, think about fearing God, you know, holding Him up high. Having a high view of God is the same thing as fearing God. Um, verse, we did 29, right? Um, chapter 2, verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. If you seek her as silver. Right? Those treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And then you're six, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We've already read that one, but that's a key passage. Now go to chapter 9, verse 10 of Proverbs. Turn a few pages. Do a few swipes, whatever, right? Verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We've seen it before. But you keep seeing it all throughout. Especially these uh, wisdom literature books. Chapter 15, verse 33. The theme goes on. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. So now we're getting humility tied in with fearing God. When you truly see God, Him being holy, you are humble. Do you remember uh, Isaiah and Isaiah 6? And He's in the temple and God is there. Holy, 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 the angels are saying. Holy, holy, holy. This God. And He sees His sinfulness. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. Well, He... Um, saw God rightly in that. He feared Him. Now, let's go to Proverbs 3.18. Go back a little bit. 3.18. We read this before. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. You want to be happy? Same as being blessed. That is how one is content. And the rest of their lives 
when they keep that attitude, no matter how you feel or how your finances go up and down or how life is treating you or whatever you're doing at the time, those feelings come up and, and they go. You know what I mean? And they go from year to year, from day to day or whatever. From moment to moment, feelings can change and all the surroundings, the environment, the trials, the tribulations. But one thing that this is saying... This is life, and you're happy when you're holding on to wisdom. No matter what's going on out there, in here, I'm still content, right? Man, that is wisdom. When you arrive at that thought, you've just been given wisdom to deal with any situation. Proverbs 10.27 The fear of the Lord prolongs life. People can do terrible things to their bodies. And they don't live too long. Now, God can take them at any time, and there can be reasons that God takes them out. There's no reason that they did anything as far as the body is concerned. But a lot of times there is cancer that is brought on because people have treated their body very badly. They've done things to it that they shouldn't have, and it wasn't wise. So if we fear God, then we prolong life. Now, I know some of you say, well, I'd rather just go ahead and Him take me on out of here. I've lived long enough, and uh, if I go to be with Him, that's even better. Yeah, but at the same time, He wants us to live here serving Him in uh, whatever capacity that may be and being content with that kind of wisdom that He gives us. Chapter 19, verse 23 in Proverbs. keeps telling you some benefits of this wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life, leads to salvation, eternal life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That means Christians can go to bed at night and sleep, and sleep good. Now, we might arrive at a certain point in our life where we're not sleeping very good, and we can't even figure out why not. You know, that's just part of the thing that goes with it. But uh, are you satisfied with life, right? Wisdom does that. Uh, Chapter 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And it may not be all necessarily material. It starts with spiritual aspects. But He also does bless us, doesn't He? And yes, He has given us riches. It's amazing what we have. All we have to do is start comparing ourselves with third world countries or any other country for that matter and see how blessed we actually really are. We need to be, I I think, told that. Be reminded, don't we? I do. Be reminded of that. God certainly has blessed us incredibly. Well, that's some of the Old Testament passages. Uh, Let's go to the New Testament then and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Beatitudes. And uh, there is how we really live the kingdom life and uh, really it's only in the person of Christ uh, that this can be done. Uh, He says, blessed ours, you know, in chapter 5, for instance. But in chapter 7, in verse 24, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, there's the key, you hear it, and then you do it, right? James has been saying what? Be ye doers of the Word. I think you knew what Jesus said. He says they may be compared to a what? A wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's the physical realm, and yes, that would show wisdom and not wisdom, and also it's, it's also building, even more importantly, in our spiritual lives. We're building on the rock, we're building on Christ. He said, build on me, right? Um, but he compared it to something that I identified. Matthew 25 uh, is where you have the parable of the ten virgins. It's uh, the first seven verses. The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. Five and five makes what? Ten? So here it's half. (laughs) For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. 
But the prudent, or the what? The wise, took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. So all of them were sleeping. All tent. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. You know the story. The prudent are the wisdom, right? The, the thing is, is when you were proposed to by the, the one who wants to marry you, let's say you're the, the, the bride, or going to be the bride, and you answer yes, then the bridegroom, the one who's going to be the bridegroom, is going to go off, going to go to the father's house, going to extend the father's house, going to build a house for them, and he doesn't know when it's going to be done because only the father is going to approve of this build building that he made onto the house. And whenever he approves of it, so even the one who's going to marry the um, the bride, or the bride-to-be, doesn't know. She doesn't know. But she does know that you're to be ready and to have that oil. And of course the oil is, uh, I think, responding to what we compare the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, be ready, be alert, be watchful. That's what a Christian is, right? All throughout the New Testament we see that. Jesus warns us, you know, Christ is coming back. So we, we want to be ready. We want to have that oil. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the oil. Be ready, be prepared, be alert, be watchful. Uh, be praying. The other ones appeared to be ones who were believers, but they had no oil. They were not wise, right? And so that's kind of the idea there. First um, Corinthians chapter 1. We get some more about wisdom in the New Testament. There's a lot about it. First Corinthians 1, verse 23. Uh, Paul says this, But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews it's a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, quotes, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. People will call Christians weak. I like to think of the meek and the weak Jesus. The foolishness of God, that's the gospel, is wiser than men. Well, we've already seen that. Wiser than anything, right? That's what Paul says here. Oh, you want to seek wisdom, huh? You're from Corinth. Here you have Athens over here and the great philosophers. Here it is. Right here. Right here. It's Jesus Christ. Christ is wisdom, isn't He? Uh, Look at verse 30, because that's what He says. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God. Remember all those Old Testament passages? on wisdom. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. And he says this, by His doing, you're in Christ Jesus. And He became to us wisdom. Christ is wisdom. Remember whenever He invited people to Him to get His wisdom? He came to us as wisdom. And then it says, and righteousness. He gave us the righteousness of God and sanctification, being set apart, being made holy, and redemption, to be redeemed, not only at salvation, but to be redeemed right on into the kingdom of God. That will come in glory. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because it all comes from God. That is what Paul shares there. Look in Colossians chapter two, verse three. Colossians two three. In whom are hidden this is Christ himself. This is a mystery. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where's your wisdom at? It's all in Christ. 
now let's go to our text. And with that thought, with that background, here's what James says. This is okay. He's already said it like this, and we talked about it last week. Okay. Who's wise? Show me. He said that about, oh, you have faith. Show me your works. Right? Now he says, oh, you have faith. You have wisdom. Show me your wisdom. Show me it. I want to see it. So he challenges him with that. And uh, he that's what we dealt with last week. Now, let's go on to this week. The wisdom from above is first, and it starts with this, pure. James underscores the primacy of purity. First, it's pure. Without purity, you don't have wisdom from above. Because one fears God. Hognos is the word there for purity. Uh, It's unmixed. There's no alloys in it. No contamination. Absolutely free of defilement. Pure. Pure. Um, Matthew 5.8. Sermon on the Mount. Matter of fact, almost all of these uh, terms that uh, James uses looks like it just came out of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. We were in Matthew 7 earlier. You're talking about wisdom. Can you imagine Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount and you're actually there listening to wisdom itself? Wisdom personified? And everybody just is amazed at this Sermon on the Mount. And words just come out of His mouth like no man has ever had before. And we get to read that. It's written in our Bible and we can take it apart word by word. This is an incredible thing. The Sermon on the Mount. What a message. I'm sure he preached it more than once. And actually, it was him himself that he's speaking about. But he says in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've seen God in one sense. Spiritually, we see Him through the Word. One day we will see Him as He is, as 1 John 3 says. And you know what that does even right now, though, with that great hope? In 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, we're children of God. He's he's stated in verse 1. The world doesn't know us. We're we're veiled to them like a bride who has a veil. We're we're veiled to them. They don't understand us. They think we're weak. They They want to get rid of us in this nation and around the world. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. We will see Him physically with our eyes, just as He is. And we'll be like that. And everyone who has this hope, if you have this kind of hope, you know what it does? If we have it fixed on Him, It purifies just as He is pure. When you look at Him and realize that you too will be like Him, you will not be Him, but you will be like Him as far as the glorified body is concerned. You know what? You will be pure. Right now, you are pure because you have that hope. You're pure because God makes you... Pure. You know, the, the context focuses really on, on motive here. If we seek wisdom then we, we, and, and not lord it over others, and we use it for not for our own advantage or for our own power or something, our motive is to glorify God. Right? Our motive is the right to build up the person who needs to be edified. Right? That's why we're there. So there's pure, peaceable. Purity is first. When you start with that purity, with that right motive, and uncontaminated, and the reason why you're doing anything is because of holy God. Wisdom is peaceable. If you compromise purity for the sake of peace, 
then you're not acting in godly wisdom. You cannot sacrifice purity. That's why it's so important that it starts with. But on the other hand, if you hold to purity in a contentious type way, a cantankerous manner, and you show that yourself is much better than the other person because you do holy things and then you have the wrong motive and you're really not pure anyway. And you're not peaceable. This word, ironakos, is to mean promoting peace, to pursue peace. In Matthew 5, 9, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A Christian is peaceable. He's a peacemaker. We're to go after peace. And Paul just echoes this theme so often. Uh, The word means to like, um, when you think of pursuing peace, it's like going after, pursuing an animal in a hunt. You're pursuing him to get to your goal. You want that, right? Uh, In Ephesians 4.3 it says that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Preserve it. Seek peace. Peace. Pursue it. Don't look for things to cause disruption or to stir up controversy over petty issues. Never compromise doctrinal purity or essential truth, but neither should we fight over minor manners where godly Bible-believing people are. That's peaceable. Next word, gentle. Uh, Epicius. It means to be considerate, to be fair, to be courteous. Matter of fact, it's a willingness to submit to others. There's a different Greek word here in, in gentleness than we found in verse 13 where it brought out gentleness of wisdom. This is a different word. And by the way, it is very difficult to translate. It's a word that you don't see. Of all Greek words in the New Testament, uh, this is um, out of the uh, Daily Study Bible Commentary. It says it's the most untranslatable. And then goes on to say, the man with this quality knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. He is just and he is right and he could condemn. But he doesn't do it. He's gentle. He knows how to make allowances. He's not so legalistic in his aspect of where he seeks to tear down people because he stands upon his rights, but he knows how to temper things. He knows how to temper justice. He knows how to temper uh, with, with mercy. Douglas Moo, on his commentary, says that. He says that the word indicates a willingness to yield to others, to give over to them, and a corresponding unwillingness to exact stricter claims. We can tend to be strict. We can tend to be legalistic on certain attitudes. And he says it's a quality that Jesus even possessed. Being able to give up those stern claim rights that we have. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 10, 1. This is the idea of gentle. And boy, does it ever take in wisdom, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Of course, he uses some technique there, but uh, there he's talking about Jesus. uh, Urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We're speaking of this kind of gentleness. Jesus possessed gentleness, didn't he? He was a very gentle person, biblically. Uh, that sense uh, it submits to um, maybe some dishonorous things that happen to you to uh, disgrace might be brought to you or mistreatment might be brought or persecution and still having humility it's an attitude of being courteous an attitude of kindness an attitude of patience oh how much we need a patience right an attitude and consideration without hatred without malice without revenge and that's the idea of being gentle. Reasonable is the next word that James says. Reasonable. It's willing to yield. It's, a, it's related to gentle here. It's not stubborn. It's being teachable. Being teachable. Being easily persuaded. 
In Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount again. We've been in Proverbs, then we've been in Sermon on the Mount. Uh, real, useful, practical things, right? Matthew 5, 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. See what's going on there? They're reasonable. Being willing to even to, to defer as others. Never to give up core doctrine. Whenever that's at stake, we must always hang on to, to truth. James has stated earlier, being quick to hear, slow to speak. He knows when to yield for the sake of peace. The wise man is willing to listen to others' views. And he might even wind up changing it if he's proved wrong. Wise people. Gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Boy, what an attribute of God that is, right? All of these are attributes of Christ, aren't they? Mercy. Reaching out to people who are suffering. Reaching out to people who absolutely don't deserve your help. Many of these qualities echo the Beatitudes, don't they? Gentleness, purity, peace, mercy. Blessed are the merciful. That's evidence of a transformed life. A concern for other, a compassion for other. In First John, it talks about loving others, and this is all part of it. A brother who has a need, not closing up compassion. Uh, showing compassion. Even when somebody has brought it on by their own fault, and they deserve it, let them hang out on that. Let them learn a lesson, right? Mercy. 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 Not getting what I deserve. God doesn't give us the justice that we deserve. God's merciful. In spite of the fact that our problems usually stem from our own sin and rebellion, and while we're yet sinners, He sent Christ to die for our sins. We're to extend that mercy as He extended His mercy. Good fruits, the next one. All good works. A wide variety of spiritual deeds here. In James 2, 14-20, He talked about uh, the works, the spiritual deeds, um, helping people. It's practical. Godly wisdom is not just theoretical. Godly wisdom walks and does it. It rolls up its sleeves and takes action. Good fruits. Next one is unwavering. Full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering. Adiakritos. That's the negative. Ah. It's unwavering, not wavering. Certain, being decisive, being consistent, no doubting, no vacillation. James has already talked about those vacillating ones. Don't be divided in your thoughts. It's a sense of unwavering loyalty to God. That's wisdom, isn't it? It holds unswervingly to the truth in love. James 2 talks about that. Let the light shine consistently before men who in seeking their good works can glorify their Father in heaven. An unwavering commitment. No partiality. Never making distinctions in persons and never wavering in commitment without hypocrisy, without a mask, being genuine, being sincere. Um, what you see is not a mask or cover-up, right? You want to be that way. What you're, what you're seeing is the real person here. I'm not trying to cover up myself here. And we know it was used for Greek actors playing a part on a stage. And it was not that they were that person. They were called hypocrites in that, in that sense there. So it turns on to the real life thing. People that put on a mask who really are not what they try to show outwardly. Christ is our wisdom. He's the embodiment of every one of these characteristics that we saw in verse 17. That is a look at Jesus Christ. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. That's Christ. And He says, you have Him. You were given 
Jesus Christ inheriting His wisdom. We can now do these things. Kind of compares with the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Some of these were the, almost the same kind of things. In that song that we had, we had, which is the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians, and then that the text here, you know, that uh, James is talking about too, uh, and that was the second verse, I believe, right? That song. What's the outcome of true wisdom? I think sum it up in quick words, um, and uh, this is basically what's saying: you reap what you sow. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If a farmer sows corn, he reaps what? Corn. He doesn't reap beans. That's a fact. That's who it is. If you sow peace, you will reap peace. If you sow selfishness and strife, you will reap selfishness and strife. So it's just a a general principle statement that comes out. Here's the result of this, if you have this wisdom. A harvest is not accidental though, right? A farmer still goes out, plants the seed, he waters it, takes care of it, he just doesn't sit around, nothing all year, and then to go out and get the harvest, right? He works hard to cultivate that. You want to cultivate these qualities that are already there because Christ's living in you? Then you cultivate Purity. You cultivate peace. You cultivate being gentle. You cultivate being reasonable. You cultivate mercy. Cultivate good fruits. You cultivate unwaveringness and uh, without hypocrisy. So a farmer just doesn't go out there and say, well, one day. It's sure been great sitting around, matter of fact, playing a few video games and doing nothing, and I come out and just pick up my harvest. Whoa, this is great. God doesn't do it that way. (laughs) That's what we would like to do, right? But God knows that we would not be growing in the Lord then, would we? Something about video games and farmers that don't go together. <laughs> no, that doesn't work, does it? They don't do that, do they? They don't have time. They get up of a morning uh, when that star in the east is really bright. I saw that this morning as before I usually get up. Man, that thing was bright. And I'm going, wow, the bright morning star. You ever see that? I don't get up early very often. I just happen to see that and I went back to bed. But it was nice to see. I said, that's a good illustration. I'll try to poke that into the, the sermon somehow. <laughs> if you see a church or a home where there is peace, and I have to think I experience that at home and in church. I really do. It, it's because the members there are working at cultivating peace. They realize they haven't arrived yet, but they're working at it. and They're, they're yielding a harvest. They, they listen to one another. They respect one another. They judge their own selfishness and pride. They seek to live in accordance with godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. So we close out on this. and uh, Verse 18, Seed whose fruit is righteousness is righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is equated with true wisdom, isn't it? We've seen that before. 1 Corinthians one thirty. Wisdom is righteous living. The fruit of this righteousness is sown. Now, that's interesting. The fruit of this righteousness is sown. Can, what? And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown. What's going on there? Usually seed is sown, isn't it? But on the other hand, fruit, fruit that is harvested becomes seed for the next crop. Doesn't it? I think it's really interesting what he's saying here. The fruit of righteousness is re-sown in peace by them that are making peace. It just multiplies. Where you have true wisdom, you have equal righteousness. True righteousness that's being worked out is fruit. Do you get it? It's the law of sowing and reaping. As you sow the fruit of righteousness... It just produces more righteousness. The ongoing process. It's a continual cycle of righteous fruit that you spread to others. This is all about how we respond and react to others. This is how social life is to be. 
The world is telling people, you know, society how it is to be. Here it is right here. This is how it works. All this is done in peace. And that's a harmonious relationship between God and men. People. Making peace. They do it. They receive the benefit from it. Righteousness flourishes in a climate of peace. There's not war going on in here. I've seen it where there has been. I'll tell you what, that is a sick feeling. You love a climate of peace where you can come and just worship God. Isn't that what you like? Don't take it for granted, folks, because we we could be at odds with each other. Very quickly that could happen. The enemy can really stir it up. He'd love to do that. Isn't it something that you... I can't wait to get to worship. To come to church this morning. Bright sunshine and God's people full of sunshine and worship with them. Let's go up to the mount of the Lord, right? Peacemakers. Peacemakers are not concerned with self. Don't get offended. Don't get offended by people. We are saved unto wisdom. And once we come into wisdom, Scripture becomes the source of our wisdom. The Holy Spirit teaches us wisdom. God's wisdom will be revealed in the way that we live. People will see that. When we hear Him, we love Him. And we obey Him. And righteousness then comes in our life. And you know what we do? We just reproduce and reproduce. I love this thing called wisdom. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. Help us to continue to fear You. Because as we are in awe and more of You, as we look at Your Word, we're seeing Jesus Christ. And as Your Holy Spirit, who lives in us, produces more righteousness in our lives, which just spreads peace, And righteousness, it keeps multiplying when we are with God's people. And thank you that I have a place to come today to worship you and to be able to receive peace and righteousness from like-minded people. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be more wise, for we have not yet arrived. Help us to cultivate these characteristics. You have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.